You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Thank you for listening to The Circuit of Success. Again, I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and it is an honor to come to you every single week. Why did we start the show? Why did we start The Circuit of Success? And, and so really, it's to give back to others. We want to help others achieve the lives that they want to live. You know, I've been fortunate enough since college to be in a career and own a firm that focuses on one thing, and that's to help and serve others to achieve their dreams. I've also been fortunate enough to become friends with lots of great people around the world who have achieved in all areas of life. I've learned that the most successful people out there are no different than the rest of us. And now it's time to let my experiences and those I've come in contact with get their message out every single week on the circuit of success. Today, we've been joined by John Fisher, Chief Investment Officer of Visionary Wealth Advisors. Let's dive into this conversation with John Fisher. So John, uh, those of you that don't know John, John is our Chief Investment Officer uh, phenomenal at what he does. Uh, just a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, I'm not going to say too much nice to you, John. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want it to get weird in here. You know. You don't want to lie either, right? Right. Exactly. So, anyway, man, excited to have you in here. And today, we're actually not going to talk about work stuff. We're going to talk about something that you did, and that was what uh, qualifying for the Boston Marathon. Qualifying for the Boston Marathon. So I've never even ran a marathon, number one, but number two, to even qualify for that. So we're going to talk about that, but I want to go really through the journey of qualifying for the Boston Marathon. My goal is to make you cry today and uh, and have some fun. But we're going to go through the journey because, um, uh, and before we go there, let's just talk about for our listeners maybe a little bit of what made John Fisher the man he is today, and then we will dive into the, the Boston Marathon journey. Yeah, Brett, I think when I think about what, what made me the man I am today, I think about um, we're all products of our environment. And my environment, you think about your environment, your primary environment piece is your family. And uh, the way I was raised by my parents, I have uh, my parents and an older sister. And um, I always thought about, you know, growing up in grade school, when it comes to, you come home with your report card, and maybe you get a bad grade. And um, your parents ask you, you know, you're, you're worried like you're gonna get in trouble for your, for your grade, right? You got a C, you got a, you know, you got a B, whatever it was. And my parents never gave me, they only asked me one question. Did you try your best? Mm. And so it was, uh, it was kind of a catch 22. It was a blessing um, because I knew that if I told them, I looked in the eye and told them I knew I tried my best, that they would accept it knowing that that was good enough. The, the, the bad side of that was if I didn't know in my heart that if I didn't right. try my best, that I couldn't sit there and lie to him. Right. And so, you know, thinking about it, it kind of get it's an underlying tone of even the qualification for the Boston Marathon is, is the effort component. Did yep. you try your best? And yep. I think that's really been a part that has stuck with me from a very young age that has, has served me quite well. Well, that's awesome. That's a, a great question. Did you try your best? Because that's just a straight punch to the gut, right? I mean, you either did or you didn't. That's so, right. So... So let's talk about this. So you uh, you grew up. You were, and I'm using your words here, um, but you were a, you were a big kid, right? And so you struggled with weight. You struggled with um, all that kind of stuff. And so by your freshman year, you were you know 200 pounds, I believe you said, and uh, always struggled with that. So talk about that. And how does a guy that has struggled with weight become a runner and qualify for the Boston Marathon? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was uh, starting for around seven or eight. I just started to uh, always be struggle with my weight. And, uh, you know, kids are always have their own concerns of what's going on in, um, you know, you know, going to school. And, um, you know, I was picked on for based on my weight. And, uh, you know, I remember my dad getting me up in grade school, sixth to seventh grade, and saying, you know, my dad was a runner and, and he ran uh, five days. I'm sorry, every day. He ran seven days a week, at least five miles a day. Rain, rain or shine. And I didn't know at the time because I was a kid and I didn't have that perspective, but talk about setting an example. And he would get me up to try and run every couple, a couple days a week. I remember sitting in bed and he'd get me up and I didn't want to get out of bed. And I'd say, oh, dad, it looks like it's going to rain today. I don't think I'm going to go. And he never pushed me when I didn't want to go. He, he wouldn't give me some encouragement, but he never forced me to go. Um, but I it started off as just running a couple days a week um, just to try and, and keep my weight in check. 
And uh, freshman year of high school, I hit, you know, I was at 200 pounds and it was, uh, I still weigh 200 pounds. The, 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 the formation of that 200 pounds was a little bit different back then. <laughs> um, and so the running started off as just being a, a goal to try and keep my weight somewhat in check. Um, and, and, and that was a challenge with, you know, with getting picked on and, and managing that. And yeah. so, um, you know, running was an outlet for me um, that, you know, when you're looking at it, you know, when I was running in high school, you think you hear about this Boston Marathon, right? And you hear about the time that it takes to qualify and you think, holy crap, that's really fast. That must be for runners, right? And, and all through high school, um, you know, the first question parents would ask me is, oh, do you play football? Because here I am, the 6'2", 200-pound guy, is do you play football? Um, and so that was kind of the build I had. And so me- mentally, the idea of qualifying for the Boston Marathon was just this, it's for, it's for guys who are, you know, 160 pounds, like right. who have a runner's build, who look like they, like, they run like a deer, right. not, not like a football player. And yeah, so then when you hear that, are you a football player? That's probably like, you're like, no, I'm a runner, right? And so, so let's, let's fast forward. So you go and you, uh, you do a marathon, and I believe you were 26. Is that correct? I ran one uh, in 2004 and 2006. So I guess that would be 22 and 24. Okay. And then you, uh, how'd you do in those marathons? So the first one I ran in, uh, in three hours and 28 minutes, which was about 15 minutes short of the time I needed to qualify. And the second one, um, I was I had an injury and didn't come close. It was okay. three? I don't know. It was it was it was, it was longer than three twenty eight. It was a finish though. It was a finish though. It was a finish. Uh, and so you did you did that, and then it kind of I'm assuming became this pipe dream type deal where it's like, well, I want to qualify for Boston. It's a lifelong goal, but now it's a pipe dream. I'm getting older. Uh, what happened then? Yeah, you you know you look back and you think about. You know, when you get to 22, 24, you think I'm in the prime of my life in terms of health and, and uh, fitness, right? Or, and, and given my youth, and um, I ran the race and I didn't come close. And so I thought, I already had these, this idea in my mind that I'm not, I'm not a runner, right? I look like a football player. Right. Um, so I, I was already up against thinking that this is still not something I can achieve. And then running in 328 and whatever the other time was, in my mind, it confirmed that this was a, a, a dream. And in my head, I vision dreams are things that can't come true. And so after the race in 2006, I still ran two or three days a week for fitness perspective, but I didn't run another competitive race for 10 years. Um, and part of that is because if I'm going to run a race, I'm going to toe the line, I'm going to give it everything I have, and I'm going to feel like crap at the end. Right. Beyond crap, to right. be honest. And so you did that. So 10 years later, you ran your first half marathon. Is that correct? It is. And, and actually, what, what started the whole thing was uh, the, the, the original Biz Dash in St. Louis was in 2016. Yep. And a team at Visionary had everyone, was getting everyone to run and asked me if I would run. And so I said, well, why not? Right? I want to be part of the team. And I ran that race in a time, um, it was somewhere around 21 minutes or 22, but at the time it was around seven minute pace. And I was kind of surprised how fast I ran it. And I said, well, maybe this, maybe this idea of qualifying for Boston isn't so unattainable as I thought. I think there might've been some side bets going on at the biz dash, wasn't there? (laughs) I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were then, and I'm sure there will be again this year. That's right. Although there might not be this year because I'm not sure anyone will bet me at this point. No, we don't bet Boston qualifiers on running. (laughs) So to your point, Brett, you know, after that 5K, I stopped and said, well, maybe this, there is an opportunity here and maybe there is a chance. And so I said, well, why don't we just sign up for a half marathon and see how it goes? So let's talk about that half marathon because uh, you had a great message on social media that you posted. And, and you and I even just this morning were talking about vulnerability. Uh, most people wouldn't share probably what happened. Um, because it was, it could, you could call it an ego, a pride, whatever it may be. Won't you share what happened in that half marathon? Yeah. So I ran, um, this was a half marathon in April of 2017 and, uh, I followed my own training, uh, without a coach and, um, I ran the race and around, around eight or nine miles, I was starting to feel it pretty heavily and it was a fight. It was a little warmer day than usual. And, uh, I was getting 11, 12, and it was really tough. 13.1, right? For 13.1 the half. for the half, and I hit 12.9, and uh, I rounded a corner, and I thought the finish line would be where the start was. And it's on the, on the, right down on the, on, the la- on the road by the arch. 
And when I turned that corner and didn't see the finish line, um, I just mentally, I, mentally and physically, I was dehydrated. I just, I, I fell. I didn't, I didn't hit my head, I just, but I fell and I tried to get myself back up and I couldn't get back up. And um, someone comes over to help me and me being this, like thinking I'm like an Olympic runner, tells them, no, I don't want to be disqualified. Mind you, all the people who were ever getting any prizes finished a long time before that. Right. Um, but I didn't want to be helped. Um, so I tried again to get up and I, and I couldn't get up. Um, finally he had to help me to my feet. We stood there for a minute and then we slowly walked the last two tenths of a mile. Wow. And, um, it's so, it's, it's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Um, you think about it and it's like, John, 12.9 miles, that's 98 and a half percent of the race. You, you couldn't just run for another minute and a half. Like you, as we sit here, I could go run for a minute and a half, right? right? Like you couldn't just, you couldn't get up and just walk on your own for the last minute and a half of the race. Um, and you had to have, you had to, you would have help across the finish line. You couldn't finish it on your own. And, uh, it was, I was embarrassed. Um, you know, again, going back to what my parents said, like, as long as you always try your best. Well, I felt like you always finish what you start and that's part of doing your best. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't finish on my own and therefore I didn't do my best. Um, and so there was a certain amount of shame and you think about it and you think about how you feel when you're embarrassed and you're shame. No one likes to feel that way. Right. And that feeling made me angry. It made me really angry. And so I think the cool thing about that is though, so obviously not cool that you weren't able to finish on your own. Cause I know after that, somebody helped you. And was this person just a normal runner person or was this like a worker? This was a, a medical staff person. Okay. Um, that had come out to help me. That's awesome. And so you finished. And so I think the vulnerability part of that, that I find just to be really cool that you did is that you went and shared it on, on Facebook. Right. And it was a picture of you literally, I don't even know if you remember the picture, right? Because you kind of brain, you were, you were out, out to lunch basically, uh, if I remember correctly. And then, uh, but you shared it and you talked about your vulnerability of that. And so why did you share that? Yeah, Brad, I, I shared it for two really important reasons. Um, one is I can, I, I, I shared it to try and dispel what I call the Sunday glamor myth, which is when you go on social media, look on Facebook, you look at Instagram, you see success. All you see is this person and what they've achieved. And you tend to think that either I can throw it out there and I either am good enough or I'm not, or that this person was just naturally given that, right? And that you, and, and social media tends to lead you to believe that there, that failure is not part of the path to success. And I think it's misleading. And I think for people who want to achieve their goals, it's, it's paralyzing. And so, you know, Brett, the PJ championship was recently in St. Louis and Dustin Johnson, a world-class golf golfer. He's married to a famous actress. Um, and you think Dustin Johnson just lives the dream, right? You see him on Instagram in these awesome locations with his famous wife Monday morning. So they PJ championship practice round starts Monday morning. And the, they had previously played the week before in Akron, Ohio. So they finish up at 7 or 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Monday morning is the first practice round. I went and I was like, well, I don't think we're going to see the big time players because they just finished up at 7 o'clock right. in Ohio. <clears throat> we're out on the course. Mind you, the driving range, you go to the driving range first, spend time in the driving range, and then go to a, play your practice round. We're there at 8.30 in the morning. Who's out there? Dustin Johnson. Hmm. And you think about how good he is. And you think about what you see on his social media account and what you see on TV on Sundays, you see him winning. You don't see him the night after finishing a week in Ohio of playing a, you know, playing a round, um, on Monday morning at eight 30, already out on the course in a different city. Yep. And I think that's the message of posting it on social media. And I think, so there's one element of I post on social media to try and share with other people because I think I, was, I really wanted to share my journey so other people could learn from my blood, sweat, and tears. Right. Um, but the other part of it was I shared it on social media. And Brett, we've talked a lot about it. You've talked a lot about sharing your goals, right? Well, if I share my failure on social media, that's my story. I don't want failure to be my story. Right. The only way to rewrite that story is to have success after that. And when you succeed after a failure... A failure goes from being the story to being a chapter of your part of success. And so by sharing that on social media, it was my drive to make sure 
that that was not the last thing that people heard about when it come to hitting my goals. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. So, so you, you did that, and then uh, obviously there's this still this quote-unquote pipe dream, but now we're starting to believe the pipe dream a little bit more. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about this here in the firm, and, but how important was the next step of, one, you went public, right? So everybody knew, right? So that's a big part of goal planning, in my opinion, is you got to go public. you got to share what your vision is. you got to share what your goals are. But then you made a decision to invest some money in yourself. So let's talk about that. Yeah. And Brett, I think this is, it's so funny. This is the first time I've hired a coach since finishing school. And you think about it when you, it, it reminds me of a, a comment that Warren Buffett talks about investing, but it's also about life, which is many decisions in life are simple, but not easy. Right? So we think about all through life, whether we're playing a sport or we're learning how to our craft and what we're going to do for our career, we have a coach, we have a teacher, but all of a sudden at 22, we graduate and get a diploma and the perception is somehow we don't need any help anymore. And that was me. I never reached out to have a coach in anything after graduation. And so after having the, by the way, the reason I was dehydrated, the reason why I failed at 12.9 was because my training wasn't good enough. I had not put in enough time. And by the way, just the other thing is just because we can all go outside and run doesn't mean that we know anything about running. Right. And so I was fortunate that the, the president of the Go St. Louis, uh, Mona Langenberg, lives on my street. And she, she works, she's the president of Go St. Louis, and she has a running coach. And she made the referral to Mark Spiewak, who is my coach, and said, you know, you should work with Mark. And um, it was stunning in starting to work with Mark how little I knew about running. Like, I've been doing it for, since I was a kid. Right. And I knew so little about running. And the other part of it was accountability um, that Mark really brought to the table. So there's, a, there's an app called Strava that's like the Facebook for runners. You, they can, you, know, you post it, and anyone who's connected with you can see your runs. They can like it. They can comment. Well, every run I would do after hiring a coach, Mark would like it. And, and I told him, I, I gave him that feedback that I really valued him liking that because, first of all, it shows that he cares. Yep. And second of all, it shows he's watching. And so I knew if I wasn't going to show up on a certain day that I was going to have to answer why I didn't run that day. And so I think especially when you're starting to trying to change behavior and change and, 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 and transform yourself into something that you haven't been before, you need that accountability in the, in the beginning before that behavior becomes routine. Yeah. And I think to that point of you, you mentioned the PGA earlier is um, that's probably one of the biggest things I learned of, of walking around, especially during the practice rounds, the greatest golfers in the world and you look at them and you know completely different from when i was a kid and would go to these tournaments right and i would see the the golfer and they weren't really in shape and they were walking down the fairway with their caddy but you watch these golfers now it was their caddy it was their strength coach it was their swing coach right they they had a little entourage with them everywhere they went and so you think of the world's best i think of michael phelps right had coaches when he was doing what he, he was doing the Olympics. You think of Michael Jordan and, and Tim Grover, uh, the book Relentless, right, that we both have read. Michael Jordan says, I wouldn't be Michael Jordan without Tim Grover. And so I think it's important for our listeners, if, if you're in a spot, right, you're maybe if you're in a funk or you feel like you've hit, in a pla hit a plateau at work or in life, I mean, coaching is so critically important. I've had a business coach, you know, off and on for 10 or 12 years, and it's just critically important to our success. And so I congratulate you, one, to spend the time and energy, but it's money, right? It wasn't free to hire a coach. That's right. And so to go out and do that, and so I would, you know, tell our listeners, if, if you feel that and you feel this extra gear, but you're just not getting there, reach out, find somebody and uh, hire some of the best in the business. And view that, change the way you think about it. I <coughs> brought to your... I, 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 I would agree with what you said 100%. I think the other thing that was in my mind is that I viewed that um, that payment to the running coach in the beginning before I did it as an expense. And I should, right. I should have viewed it as an investment. Yep. And one thing as I get older, I've tried to get myself into a mantra of try something new, at least try it once. If you don't like it or it doesn't work out, you don't have to do it again, but at least try it. And so changing that way I viewed a coach from an expense to an investment I sit here today and I, I, w I, I would not have qualified. I don't believe I would have qualified for the Boston Marathon without my running coach. Yeah. And knowing when I pay him, I, I would pay him double. In fact, I gave him a bonus after <laughs> I qualified. That's awesome. Because I told him that he has done so much to, for me. He's done so much beyond what I pay him for right. that it was the least I could do 
for, sh- for giving me something that's been a lifelong dream. You're listening to Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland and our conversation with John Fisher. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. And today we've been talking with Chief Investment Officer John Fisher. And we talk about mindset every week on this show, week in and week out. You know, we talk about mindset. We talk about what it takes to be great, what it takes to get back up when you've been knocked down. And so I think so many times in today's world, we like to talk, whether it's on social media or or wherever it may be, we like to talk about all the great things going on in life, but we rarely like to talk about the things that we learn and the things that really were the biggest challenges for us. And really probably the the most things where you learn the most in life is by being knocked down. And so we're going to dive back into our conversation with John. We talked about his failures of his first half marathon and how his mindset changed to eventually become a Boston Marathon qualifier. And so before we even get to the Boston Marathon now, so talk about that. Talk about the mindset. How has your mindset changed on, forget the you know one step in front of the other, right, and actual running, but just mindset. What has changed in life for you since this whole thing has happened? You know what, Brett? I think when it started off, I thought this was something I couldn't do. I, I really, I mean, that's what I, I told you earlier. I define a dream as something that is, is, is not reality. It's not something that I could achieve. And seeing this this path with the small victories that have led to that dream changing from, like we said, a pipe dream to a long shot to maybe this is possible to this is likely to, oh, damn it, I'm confident this is going to happen. <laughs> this is going to happen. Has has shown me. It, it, it asked the question, what else in my life have I said as a dream of mine that I've just basically said is not not feasible that basically I wasn't willing to put in the time. And I think that's the part, you know, people say, you know, so the, the marathon I ran is, you know, they say, I can't believe you ran that fast. And um, my response to them is to think about what they want to accomplish and just spend 30 or 45 minutes a day for five or six days a week. Just try it for three months. And, and, and I would say, good luck not getting good. Right. And you do that for a year. I've been running for a year and a half now, five or six days a week. And of, of course I'm good. When you put in that much time, right. you, don't, you don't have a choice but to get right. better. Right. And yeah. so I think that's the part of it that has really been opened my eyes to is, is what, part of lives have I, what part of my life have I ignored or put away because I thought it wasn't achievable. But in all reality, I just wasn't, it's, it's more likely that I'm not, I haven't been to this point willing to put the effort it takes to achieve that goal. And you know, one of the circuits of success, right? We start with attitude, which you, you had to have a great attitude about it and, and think differently, but is belief, right? That second circuit is belief. And I think it was Walt Disney says, you, you know, if you believe it, you can achieve it or whatever the saying was. Um, I think that just shows you right there in the circuit of success, that belief had to rise above not believing. That's right. And, and Brett, and to that, and when I saw and for that to happen was, we, you know, you don't just run two half marathons and run a marathon. Unfortunately, my running coach put me through a lot of short five Ks and all that, uh, short distance runs, which I think are a little bit more painful in a, in a manner of speaking than long runs. And I would cross these finish lines of running five Ks, and I broke twenty minutes, which was stunning to me. It, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I broke nineteen minutes. And Brett, I, I'd cross these finish lines, and as as soon as I could get to my knees and and, and breathe again, I would laugh. I would laugh out loud because I literally couldn't believe the time that I run it in. Right. It wasn't something that someone of my size and my weight and my ability just six months ago could do. I couldn't believe it. And, I, and the only response I could have was to laugh at the result. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think those little things, those little achievements along the way, right, that was creating bigger and bigger and deeper belief. It, you're right, Brett. It made it was like a snowball rolling downhill. Yeah, is is one achievement that 5K that 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 was that maybe this isn't a, maybe I could do this. Right. And then I ran a half marathon, and for 12.9 miles of it, it was on the pace that I was looking for to say I could take the next step. Yeah. And you start to each of these races, each of these runs where your your coach says that's a great workout, you're on pace. Each of these makes that that idea that belief bigger and that goal more achievable. 
which makes the work, first of all, it makes it easier. And second of all, it makes it feel less like work. Yep. So talk about the sacrifice, right? And, and, we've, and we've talked about this on many occasions on not only the sacrifice of, oh my gosh, this is during the winter and it's, you know, 14 degrees out and I got to go to Forest Park in St. Louis and run, you know, 14 miles when I don't want to on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. You have a new baby, right? So to, to put it in perspective, right, you, you've got a new baby, you've got a job that you've got, you know, you do a lot of stuff for your work. Uh, you've got a wife uh, who's got a you know a professional job that's busy and, and traveling and doing things. So there's all these excuses, right? right. Oh, I, I'm not sleeping through the night because we've got a brand new baby. But yet I'm going to get up and I'm even some days I'm going to take the baby with me and go run around the park. So talk about those sacrifices, but then also the eating and hey, I'm going to go to a Cardinal game uh, on a maybe a Wednesday night before the half marathon, and I'm going to choose to not have you know maybe two Bud Lights and a, and a hot dog, right? Those are sacrifices. Yeah, I'm still hurting from opening day, not being able to drink at opening day this year <laughs> because I had a half marathon that Sunday. Um, you know, Brett, to your adage about being busy in life, there's an old adage that says, if you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? And I've seen that part of my life where I've, been, I've not been busy and I couldn't get anything done. And yet times when times are more stressful and you, and you have to be more accountable, you have to be uh, more responsible, it's a lot easier to get things done. The other thing when you talk about that, Brett, that is a saying that you, you, you mentioned to me that I haven't forgotten which is in order to say no, you have to have a bigger yes. And so there are a lot of times leading up to races, a lot of races were on Saturdays. I enjoy a you know, long week, you know, I, I enjoy a cocktail on a Friday night. Um, races are on Sundays, you know, staying in on Friday, Saturday night, not necessarily ideal. Um, but in order to say no, you have to have a bigger yes. And you know what, the, the, the biggest pain point I would say of running um, in this training is, is running in the winter. Um, it's tough to get up at 5.30 in the morning in February and go running. It's dark outside, which I always joke is God's way of saying you should still be in bed. <laughs> and it's also very, very cold, right? Um, you learn very quickly how to dress appropriately because the minute you step out the door, you're reminded whether or not you did a good job or not. Right, right. And so to force yourself in the, in the middle of the winter to get up in 10-degree uh, weather and when it's dark outside you have to have a bigger yes to say no to hitting the snooze button. Yep. And having seen those small victories and having that accountability help make that happen. Yeah, that's awesome. So fears, right? We talk about this, you listen to the podcast, uh, now the soon to be radio show. Um, what fears were you putting in your mind along the way? Well, I think dating back to when I was a kid, I think it was, uh, fear of just not being good enough, um, fear of fear of failing and everyone knowing about it. Right. Um, you know, but I think also that, that failure, I think we can use failure as a reason to stop or we can use a We can use failure to propel us forward. And, um, that fear of failure, I decided to harness it after I, 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 I ran 12.9 miles of that half marathon which my neighbors who ran with me reminded me that I ran, I ran, right. I didn't run a half marathon. I ran 12.9. <laughs> um, I took a picture of Do they have 12.9 stickers you can put on your bumper. They don't, they but don't, if right. they, if, if they did, they would have been all over my bumpers. <laughs> right, exactly. right. And after that, that picture with the gentleman helping me across the finish line, I put it on my refrigerator. I put it on the, the door of my, of my office, the back door. Yep. Um, because again, the idea of failure, didn't sit well with me and whether or not I could, I could achieve my goal of qualifying for Boston. I was not going to finish by having a half marathon where I didn't finish on my own accord. So I want to, I don't want to skip over this cause you said it, but I think it's very important. Um, if, if the listeners didn't get it, but is you put the picture where I put the picture of failure, you put I, the picture, I put the picture of failure on my refrigerator at home, right? From, for myself and my wife to see, right? And I put it on my door in my office so that every so when time the door was shut, when the door was shut, I would see it. When I went to get something to eat at, at home, I would see it. And, and the, the reason was that that picture makes me so angry that if you, if you, if you get mad enough about something, you'll change it. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so I wanted every, you know, when you're running five or six days a week, especially in the winter, all I needed to do was look at that refrigerator 
to say, why in the hell am I going out and it's 15 degrees outside right. and it's and it's cold as hell? Yeah. When I look at that refrigerator and I see that picture, I get so angry that I want to replace that failure with success. Yeah. It's all the drive that I need. Yeah. So I think that's the key point, right? Is setting yourself up for success, uh, visualizations, whatever it may be. We got to put things in our in our. Uh, you know, uh, you can see this right here, right? I have the F greater than P written on my window, right? That's future greater than your past, right? That's my mission. And so that's a visualization for me that I see it every single day, right? And sometimes it's even subconsciously, I don't even see it, but I know it's there, right? And Brett, one thing you've talked about is making, is looking at your, you know, to achieve your success is, is putting your goals in front of you on a daily basis. Well, in this case, I went the backwards way and I put my failures of where I had come from in front of me on a daily basis until I could replace them with the success that I wanted. And the one other element I want to touch on, we talked about running in the, in the winter and running when it's 15 degrees outside. No one wants to do that, right? Um, I think it's what, what is great about those times, whether it be running, right? We're talking about running, but whether, what, there's certain parts of your life that you really don't want to do. But what I found was when I got out there at 530 in the morning, it, it was pitch black and 15 degrees outside. And I, I didn't see anyone else out there. Right. I was out there by myself. Well, which is probably a little energizing, right? Once you get out there and get going, it's never the hard part, in my opinion, of doing stuff is never the doing it. It's the getting out of bed to go do it, right? That's right. Is once you get going, okay, this is good. I would think that's energizing, though. It's pitch black outside. I'm the only you know man or woman on this street right now. I'm going to crush it. I'm listening to your point, Brad. I'm listening to a book right now by Mel Robbins called The Five Second Rule. Yep. It talks about the hardest part of any decision is the first five seconds. It's when your feelings have a potential to derail your actions. That's right. Five, four, three, two, one. That's yeah. right. And so what I found was when you get out there and it's cold or it's rainy, it's pouring rain and you don't want to be there, but you see no one else out there, who, you know, what kind of the thrill it, it sends through you to know that I'm going to put, go somewhere where most others won't. Right. And the gratification of knowing that I had every possible reason to not show up today and just to, to, to call it in, and I didn't, right. the feeling when you finish that run is a feeling like no other because you had every reason not to show up, and despite all the reasons not to, you still climbed that hill and right. did it. And I think the important thing is, I know we're talking about running today, but you know, you can replace, for our listeners, can replace running with whatever it is that they're wanting to accomplish. This quote-unquote pipe dream right, is is put a plan together, right? So that's the other thing that's important. So, I, and you mentioned it earlier, I went from pipe dream to not likely, but heck, let's give it a shot to maybe to, you know, boom, it, it happens. There's a plan, right? So there's visualization, right? There's the self-talk, there's the mindset, there's the belief, um, but there is a plan. And so talk about that. What was the plan? Uh, you don't just say, hey, I'm going to go try to qualify the Boston Marathon. What did you do? Yeah, well, the biggest part of my plan, Brett, was to hire a coach. Because my coach knew how to write a plan for right. a runner. I didn't. And so by hiring a coach, and again, I, I want to second your thought. I think so much of this is, there's so much that running, you know, some of the greatest runners will tell you running is a microcosm for life. And so I think most of the things that I've done in this running are an element of, of, of life and how you apply those. And so pr I primarily know my running coach for that plan as to what we were going to do on a weekly basis. But I also knew that I had to be, I had to be eating well. I had to not be drinking the night before of a long run, right? If I want to maximize that goal. Um, and that I had to, you know, there, even though I don't love racing because I know that I'm going to run until my, my lungs want right. to bleed, I knew that I had to, you know, there's a, a they call it a frostbite series where you run, every, there's a, a race every other weekend in Forest Park, a uh, local park here in St. Louis, in the middle of the winter. And there, you can do a short version or a long version. Well, my running coach had me do the short version because he said if you become faster or short, Short distance, you'll be a better long distance runner. So every other week in the middle of the winter, I had to run a 5K, a five mile, a three mile race, a two mile race. And all of them in 15 degree weather where I didn't want to be out there um, and running short races where when the gun goes off, you're sprinting the entire time. And so it was doing these things that I didn't necessarily want to do. But when I would finish one, I'd say, holy crap, I'm, I'm growing and that, 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 that mountaintop is getting closer. And so it became a, and, and, and the other part of it was my, my coach was saying that this would happen and it happened. He would say this would happen and it happened. And so you start to believe that, well, John, you just get out of your own way. 
right. just sit there and follow what your coach says. I, I've, I've, he's, he's gotten a few more recruits from me because I've told people, look, I don't know anything about running. So I hired him to tell me what I should do. Right. And I just do it, right? Because if you, if you have expertise in a certain subject, then you have the ability to, to execute on that topic. Right. If you don't have the expertise, then you hire someone to help you with that. And I realized that I'm not an expert runner, so I hired someone to give me that, that perspective to help guide me to the path I needed to go so that all I had to do was shut up and do the work. Kind of like hiring a financial planner. That's a shameless plug right there. Yeah. Man, that was terrible. That's right. But I think you know, <coughs> the best parts in life are, are, the, are the best people in life are willing to acknowledge where they're good at yep. and where they're not. And when they're good at, absolutely execute. But where you're not good at, ask for help right. and find help because that's going to be the places where you can add the most value to your life. But it requires you being honest with yourself. Our conversation with John Fisher returns after these messages. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. And today we've been joined by John Fisher, Chief Investment Officer of Visionary Wealth Advisors. We talk more with John Fisher now. So let's talk the day, the day, the big day. We, uh, we get on a little birdie, we fly up to Minnesota. Got Duluth, Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. He, he's, he's starting to tear up, by the way. Um, I think he is, it looks like it. So the big day, you get on a plane maybe Friday, Thursday, Friday? Thursday. Thursday, we Racing. head up to Minnesota, we being you and your wife, yep. um, head up to Minnesota, and race day is Saturday. Walk us through the night before at like, from like say nine o'clock on. Yeah, so you fly up on Thursday, I have a day not to travel, make sure there's not any travel problems. I thought it was Friday was interesting. Um, it's a long day, You're not, you know, you stay off your feet. You're gonna be running 26 miles the next day. You right. don't need to be on your feet the day before. And so um, that also leaves you a lot of time to think. And, 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 and thinking is not good when it comes no. to action and it comes to execution, right? right? And there's- Bad t- thoughts in there. There's, that, there's things you come up, you think about, um, well, we paid for this flight up here, we paid for hotel rooms. My wife came up here to support me. There's all these people at home. Um, I, I believe I'm going to succeed but this is a three-hour race. There's a lot of time in a three-hour time span where things can go wrong. Right. Where a lot of good runners don't have, you know, whether it be weather, whether it be a certain issue, you just never know. There's so many things you can't control over a three-hour time frame. And to be clear, it's a three-hour race for you. A three. Right. For the rest of us, it's longer than three hours. That's right. But whether it be three, four, or five, it's a long time yeah. for things to, to go wrong. There's for something to go wrong and not achieve your goals. And so on Friday, there were times when I entered my head like, what if I fail? I know a lot of good runners who, who are better runners than I have that have taken five, six times to qualify for Boston because there's so many different conditions you can't control. And so there were times, even the day before, even though I've done all that training leading up to it and that I truly believe I will qualify, that I'm sitting there on Friday saying, well, what if I don't, right? And that's a part of your mind that, that you have to work on to make sure that, to, to know that that's part of like what your mind's trying to trick you into thinking and that you need to be, and, that, and Brett, you know much more about this than I do, but talking, thinking positively about, and, and training your mind to think positively and not think about the, the what if, the risk of, of failure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I do this daily. Um, you know, you, you, like you said earlier, it's not just a straight line to success, right? And so we all deal with the roller coasters every day. And I think one of the things I've worked really, really hard on is if a negative thought comes in, I immediately tell my brain to flip it to positive. Right. And that's hard to do, but it is training. And I have found that doing that for years now is when that negative thought does come up, it's okay. It's there. Embrace it. We're going to have more of them, right? Every day. Uh, but just turn that immediately into something positive. Well, and Brett, to your point, so and I'm getting kind of goosebumps just thinking about it now. After I thought about what if I fail and what everyone knows, everyone knows I'm up here. Right. I didn't just go downtown to <clears throat> run a race, I flew to Minnesota yeah. to run a marathon. Right. I stopped and thought, you know what, John, you've been running for a year and a half, the last, you know, six months, six days a week, you know, that's an hour a day plus, um, seeing a physical therapist at the end for an injury that I had to get over, um, a lot of time invested and, and, and no one else that knows about this has dreamt about this goal since they were 12, 15, right. no one will be more disappointed if I don't achieve this than myself. So why do I care 
what everyone else is thinking because no one will, will be as upset as I am right. if I don't hit my goal. And to your point, that really helped reframe my mind of saying, stop focusing on others and focus on yourself. So you go to bed Friday night, you sleep, not sleep, sleep, not sleep, probably a uh, little toss and turn in a little anxiousness. Maybe uh, you get up Saturday morning, you get your shoes laced up, you write something on your arms. What is that? I, uh, I took a black magic marker with me and I put the word Boston on my right arm, on my, my inner forearm, and I wrote forever on my left uh, forearm. Um, because when things get tough, it's like your daily reminder of what you're working for. When things get tough, you need to remember why you're out here. And the last three miles of a marathon are usually a level of pain that are not enjoyable. And so whether it be mile seven, mile 10, mile 15, but especially mile 24, 25, and 26, I wanted to have a reminder staring me in the face of why I was out here. And the idea of saying that I've qualified for the Boston Marathon is something that if I were able to achieve it, no one can ever take away from me. Mm. And to think about the fact that if I do this and I endure this pain and I'm able to execute on this morning, I'll be able to say that I qualified for the Boston Marathon for the rest of my life. And so I wrote that on my arms so that in the times when I was thinking that maybe this wasn't worth it or maybe I felt like giving up because it hurt that bad, I had a, a, a reminder 12 inches from my face why I was going to keep going. So you're running, you're doing your race. Uh, at what moment do you think you believed, holy smokes, this is going to happen? I would say mile 25. So um, I knew I So need- for the first 25 miles, you ne- didn't necessarily even believe that this may or may not happen. Well, let's back up just a little bit for perspective. So I, I woke up that morning and I, and I said, this is, it, how many days in your life? Again, how do you, th- it's all about framing, Brett, right? right? How do you frame the opportunity? I could have said, I've worked for, eight, for a, a year and a half for one day. What if it doesn't go right, right? All that year and a half work is not gonna, it's not gonna, uh, it, it's gonna be down, the, it's gonna go down the tubes. There's a way you could frame it, right? Right. But I, I woke up that morning saying, this morning, I have a chance to make a dream come true. How many days in our life yeah, not many. do we have an opportunity to wake up and say, I have a chance to make our dream come true? Uh-oh, it's starting, folks. And so <laughs> my thought process was completely focused on making that dream come true. Now, I'd had a hamstring issue. I ran the race in the middle of June. I had a hamstring issue pop up um, in April. And so we worked oh. on it, and I went to see a physical therapist, and it was better. And so we start the race, I run the first seven miles, and I start to feel my hamstring a little bit. And so it, 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 I felt it, it wasn't something that, I, I, that was debilitating, but I was, I was aware of it a little bit. And so at that point, I had two goals. Number one goal was qualifying for the Boston Marathon. But I also knew I was within five, on a really good race, maybe I could, I could run under three hours for a marathon, which to me seems superhuman. Coming from a football player's bill, right. from a kid who was overweight as a kid, running a marathon under three hours seemed superhuman. So once in that first seven miles, I started to felt my, feel my hamstring. It was a, a, a recognition in my head of, John, let's focus on the eye on the prize. It's not sub three hours. It's qualifying for Boston, which I knew was about 306 or less is what would probably would guarantee me to be there. And so after I felt my hamstring mile six or mile seven, it's one of those, God, I hope this my hamstring holds out. Please just let it hold out. And so uh, fortunately around mile 14 or 15, my other hamstring that was not injured started to feel the same way. And so I'm like, okay, well, now I don't feel any yeah, different. It balanced out. It balanced yeah. out, and I'm, there's all sorts of pain everywhere. So this doesn't, right. I'm not focusing on as much. And so, um, you know, the last, you know, I hit mile 20, 21, you know, the running coach talks about breaking a marathon down into two 10-mile races and two 5Ks, right? Hmm. Again, think about it mentally, about how you, you know, how do you eat an elephant one by a time? Right. The idea of running 26 miles seems extremely daunting. But for tr- when you train for 18 or 19 miles, just running a 10-mile race or 10-mile run and then a 10 mile, another 10-mile run and then doing a 5K, it just seems a little bit more palatable. Yep. And so those, but those last four or five miles, you know, each marker, they have water, they have Gatorade, and they have like a sponge where you can literally you know, yep. put it on the back of your neck. For the first two-thirds of the race, I was just putting water, uh, just drinking water. Well, the second half of the race, I started drinking Gatorade. By mile 23, 24, I started to feel a little bit warmer and I felt, I don't know if I was dehydrated, but I was really starting to you know, uh, feel it, the effects of my pace and the overall conditions. So by, by mile 23, 24, I'm grabbing water, Gatorade, and sponge, everyone, just trying to hang on. I'm using nutrition, but, but hold night, hold, hold, hoping I can hold on 
um, to the pace that I'm, I'm at because it's starting to feel the first 13 miles, that pace felt very easy going. It was very comfortable. As that most miles progressed, that same pace felt like at each mile marker, someone was throwing a five pound vest on me or a 10 pound vest. And so at mile 23 and 24, it was one of those, I hope I can hold on to this. And I remember seeing at mile 25 um, saying, I've got another eight to 10 minutes. I can do this. And in fact, there was a, they start, they take pictures of you along the way. And I always have my head down because I'm focused on what I'm doing. I don't want to take part. I'm not, I don't care about waving, et cetera. At like mile 25 and a half, they had one of those um, cranes that hangs over you and takes pictures of you running underneath of it. Hmm. And I actually looked at it and raised my hands, arms up, as exhausted as I was, because I knew in my heart that with less than a mile to go, that I was going to, hmm. I knew my time and I knew I was going to qualify. And that was a quick, a quick moment to have a picture that I could always remember. And the rest of it was head down and hoping that I, and, and, and finishing, I say finishing hard. It's one of those things you feel like you're running fast and you're not right. really running fast right. at all. And so you cross the finish line, Boston Marathon qualifier, share the feelings. Uh, disbelief, uh, utter joy. Um, to think about, you know, I, I thought right about those days in February when it was cold, right? And I, and I, I mentioned this in an article I wrote, but, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't qualify that day. I qualified on the days where I didn't want to go out there. On the tough days, when I had to run 13 miles on a Wednesday before work. On all those days that no one wants to show up for, those are the days that mean the most. Yep. And so I crossed that finish line. Um, first of all, I wasn't sure if I needed to go to the medical tent or not. I wasn't <laughs> sure if I was okay. Do I need an IV or not? I didn't care. I didn't necessarily care because I knew I had finished. Um, but I, 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 I struggled back and forth of just trying to understand the moment of what had just happened. And also, um, I, I cried three or four times um, just in the time of moving from the finish line to eventually the, the massage area that was what you would normally think massages for pleasure or for you know, joy. And in fact, it was something that I needed because of dehydration and, and cramping, et cetera. Um, but it was just um, a surreal moment crossing that finish line, knowing that all of your hard work had finally come to fruition. Um, and, and Kelly being there was so, so important. You talked about um, my wife Kelly having a, you know, she works and we have a young kiddo. Well, when you go out and run for three hours um, on a Sunday, even if you get up at five in the morning or six in the morning to do it, you know, there's time when she's up with the kiddo. And so right. knowing that she was there to share in it and that, and that, and that all of her sacrifices that she had made for my own goal were worth it because I achieved that. Um, it was just an unbelievable feeling to be able to share that with her and to know that when you really, if you want something bad enough and you're willing to put the effort in and go get it, um, dreams that I previously defined as unattainable can turn into reality. That's awesome, man. And it inspires me and gives me chills just watching you articulate it. You can see the emotion. I can feel the emotion. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. And I know, you know, as the firm, we were so proud and excited for you. But what would you, what would you say to our listener right now, that, that one person, right? That, and sometimes when you're listening to these things, it feels like some podcasts are, you know, they're just, you feel like they're just talking right to you, right? So hopefully there's that person right now that is that, that John Fisher at 12 years old that was the football player, John Fisher, that achieved the, the lifetime goal of running the Boston Marathon, what advice would you have for that person right now that doesn't believe the actual lifelong goal that they have? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question, Brett. And I think, when I think about that question, it think, I think about controlling the controllable. I think about, you can't start off thinking when you have a goal that the next, the next, the next step is the mountaintop. And so it's about putting yourself in position to look at small goals and look at not what's 10 steps ahead, but what's one step ahead. You know, Dr. Jason Selk, what's one thing I can do right now to improve my situation? And I think the other part of it is you see that it's also, it requires changing habits, right? And changing habits is difficult. And um, Hal Elrod, Miracle Morning, talks about changing habits. And he talks about day one through 10 is unbearable. Day 11 through 20 is uncomfortable and day 21 through 30 is unstoppable. 
and it's changing the habits that you currently have and knowing that up front it's gonna it's going to be painful um, but Brett when I think about what I achieved and what other people can do because again I think and I, the part of the reason I'm passionate about sharing my story is because I'm not 5'8", 160 pounds. I wasn't God's given talent. I wasn't born as a runner. And I think there's a lot of people who think that talent alone will suffice. I either have it or I don't. Yep. And, you know, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks. When you run for 45 minutes a day, you listen to, you go through a lot of podcasts and a lot of audiobooks. Right. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the first audio or the first podcast on my list is, you know, the Circuit Success podcast, sure, right. of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the books I read was uh, a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth. And uh, she has an equation for achievement. And she says, talent times effort equals skill. Skill times effort equals achievement. Hmm. And so talent counts, but effort counts twice. And so when I think about what I achieved, I, it's about putting in the effort. It's about, and, 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 and my comment to the, that 12-year-old, that person who's thinking about it is, is, is try and put in some time consistently for five or six days a week for, for two or three months at a time and just see where it goes and be shocked by where, what happens. Well, John, I can tell you, man, I'm inspired sitting here 48 minutes and 40 seconds later. That What a blast this has been for me. And uh, I've absolutely loved hearing your story. I know our listeners will get a ton out of it. Where can our listeners find more of John Fisher? You can find me on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Okay. We will put that in the show notes. And man, it has been an absolute blast having you here with us on the Circuit of Success. Brett, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am Brett Gilliland, and it's been a pleasure to be with you this week. And just like every week, our goal is to help you become the best version of yourself. If you want more information, please go to our website, circuitofsuccess.com, or on our firm website, visionarywealthadvisors.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week.